for everything oh, for everything indie for everything cults it's the blue horseshoe now. now here's your host george bremer and ryan hickey And welcome in to another post-game edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Hickey and George Bremer here with you. The Colts fall to 4-10-1 on the season as they lose in prime time for, thankfully, the final time this year. They fall to the Chargers 20-3. And a lot to take out of this, George, not just with the game. We still there's some takeaways there uh, for sure, but also Jim Mercer spoke with ESPN before the game. That's some interesting comments about the job status of Jeff Saturday moving forward and Hickey's um, an actual viable candidate to be permanent head coaching uh, head coach of this team. He talked, Jim Mercy did, about the quarterback position specifically. We'll tell you what he said and uh, react to it as well. And also, too, interesting uh, bit of news that's coming down uh, in the NFL on Monday, and that is the firing of Nathaniel Hackett. When it comes to head coaching searches, George, we also may discuss as well, Broncos, Colts, who's more attractive? It's an interesting one. Is may, you know Some of the same names that the Colts have been rumored uh, to be linked to. Also, now you're starting to see maybe be linked to the uh, the Broncos as well. So we got a very busy pod here. But we were talking before the show. I think it's very, very fitting to start here. Again, just minutes after a 20-3 loss. You're 4-10-1 to the Chargers on Monday Night Football. I'll ask you this question, George, especially you being in the stadium. I think the, key, uh, the team quit. Uh, I think so, uh, but I, I want to you know clarify that because I think you know is there effort? Yes, there is. But is there effort at an NFL level? Is that effort? You know, are are they fighting for every yard? Are they pushing? You know, beyond their limits? I don't think so. And I think you saw that. You know, they're out there and they're going through the motions, and I think they're trying to make something happen. But uh, you know, and part of that too is the offense was just so lifeless today that it's hard. It's hard to come out and say, oh, you know, as they did in the post game, that there was a lot of fight, but you were 0 for 10 on third down, which is the second time this year now that you haven't converted a third down. You didn't score a touchdown, which is the fourth time this year that's happened. Uh, when, when those kind of things happen like that, it's it's hard to sit there and say, you know, everybody was giving premium effort, and, and, and that was the result. Um, if that's true, it's probably even more concerning than than the results would indicate. Um, but how could they not? You know what I mean? When, when you look around and, and you're on your third quarterback, uh, your offense is down three assistant coaches. Zaire Franklin made reference to that after the game that, you know, the offense is in a tough spot. The, they're, they're shorthanded on the coaching staff. Uh, there's been so many changes out there. I think a lot of guys now are thinking about more about personal things, um, you know, their own contract situation, um, whether they're going to have a job here next year or, you know, how that's going to turn out. Uh, and that's natural. I mean, that's all that's left. That's what's on the line realistically in these last two weeks. So, um, again, you know, I think there, there was a level level of effort. Um, but was it at that level that you really need to, to, to compete in the NFL? And clearly not look at, look at the score and just throughout the whole day. I mean, the chargers kind of felt like they were sleepwalking too, but they were in control of this game really from the second quarter on. I mean, the first quarter, both teams were kind of equally bad, but as soon as the chargers scored that touchdown, uh, I don't know. They ever felt like the Colts were, were threatening them or that, you know, that this was going to become a contest. And I mean, right for yourself, your brain's still like, like, right. Even when it's, you know, 10 to three, it's like, or 13 to three, it's like, this game's over. Like the Colts are not scoring, you know, any, another one touchdown, let alone 10 points to even, you know, get this, um, make the Chargers sweat. 
But it's like going back to your point about quitting, it's just like I'm with you. I think they did for the first time all season. You can maybe say a little bit in the second half and in the fourth quarter last week in Minnesota as the you know that comeback is piling on. But it's like really for a full game, you kind of saw for the first time in a long time. The Colts done a good job, Lisa, of putting good effort in, and you just felt like that was not there on Monday night. And it's important also to quali- quantify or, or qualify at least that obviously players and coaches, like they don't tank, right? Like, uh, we've been right. talking about them losing out and it being a good thing. Many fans, many of you listening want the Colts to lose, and that's, again, mission accomplished. The players at least there, to, to, they are playing hard. They want to win the game. And so to your point, when you watch Monday night, they look how lifeless. It is frustrating in a sense, but you're also right. I can't blame them. Like I, I can't rip them. If this was a team that was competent, if this was even a team – that maybe had Matt Ryan play the entire year and it, it was not a total circus like it was this year. I would say, you know what? That's a bad job. You're not, you know, being professionals, even though the record is what it is, you're not making the playoffs. You still at least go out there for 17 games and play hard. But it's like you to your with everything going around with the offense shorthanded. And now you see on Monday, especially them running Nick Foles out there, clearly not being ready for the job, having, you know, working with the starters for the first time as a cult this week, thrown to guys like Michael Pittman Jr. So it's like he was not put in a position to succeed whatsoever. It's comical to think that this was the actual, the best option at quarterback for you to win the game. So it's like if you are anyone else on this team and you look around just how the quarterback position itself is being treated this year, it's tough to actually feel like this team cares about winning or, or feel as a player, you feel inspired to play hard because it feels like they're just throwing the season away with how they're just so willy-nilly about kind of putting these quarterbacks in impossible positions to succeed. And I think we saw that on Monday night, especially with Nick Foles. Well, and I think, you know, playing into that is the situation in the AFC South. I mean, you look up this week and, and Jacksonville's in first place with a seven and eight record and you got to feel <laughs> like, you know, this team at three, three and one kind of threw the talent, you know, and, and I think that's really uh, what a lot of it comes down to when, when they bench Matt Ryan after that loss in Tennessee and, and you threw two games away with Sam Ellinger at that point uh, and, and then you fire Frank Reich and you're three, five and one and, and now you're sitting up and you've won one of your last nine games in a extremely winnable division you know I, I think that's that plays into this too i mean these guys are human it's one of the things that nick Bowles was talking about you know in the postgame locker room that uh, with or in the postgame press conference to him that you know with fancy football and things you kind of lose touch of the fact that there's people playing these games uh and i think they're like anybody else i mean you're gonna sit there and, and you're frustrated enough with your season and you gotta sit and look at what jacksonville's done and think this could have been us. You know, if you're, if you're playing in our locker room, how can that not go through your mind? You know, if, if there hadn't been some meddling upstairs uh, way too early in the year. And I think of it is like, I, I don't know necessarily that anything that the Jim Mercy has been credited with doing is wrong in and of itself, but the timing was all out of whack. If you put Nick Foles in way back at three, three and one, and then you still end up where you are now. And at this point, you're firing Frank Reich and turning to Sam Ellinger. People are looking at all those moves a little bit differently than when they happened. You know, doing them in the order that they did them was a little bit chaotic. Not a little bit chaotic. It was completely chaotic. And I think it's, how's that not going to affect the locker room? I mean, just look at your own job. You know, if your station manager is making decisions like that, you're going to start wondering what what's going through their head. And I think the players are no different. And I, and I don't know how they would be. You know, and as you mentioned with Nick Foles, he didn't it's week 16 and here you are hey go run the offense man you're taking your first snaps with the first team offense since the summer this week you know and i know baker mayfield came in one two games for the rams i understand that it's happened other places doesn't mean it's the right thing to do doesn't mean it's the right way to do it and it, honestly 
you know, at, at the end of his presser today, Nick Foles almost made the case that it should still be Matt Ryan's job. So it's just that kind of year. It's an odd uh, I, I think so many decisions have been made and people have been put in bad situations, whether it's the quarterbacks, whether it's, you know, we talked about just Saturday the day he was hired. This is a really rough spot for him to be in, you know, coming in, in the middle of the year and, and not being with the team. All of this, it, it's just head scratching. And then, like I said, when you look up at the end of the day and this division is the most winnable division, maybe outside of the NFC South uh, in the NFL this year, if you don't get frustrated, you don't care very much about, what you're doing for a living. And to add on to that frustration, George, too, it's like, it's not like this team at three, three and one when they theoretically threw the talent by starting Sam Ellinger, right? And that kind of started the entire downfall of the season. Real well, you could say the downfall started before that, but you know, mm-hmm. really kind of sent the season into a, a total tailspin for sure. It's also like they have been in almost every game. So it's like, it, it, it just adds to where it's like, you threw away the season early on, and oh, by the way, you're still competitive. Where sure you're losing a lot of these games that you should have won, but it's like they really outside of tonight's game, the time I had, like they have, and the fourth quarter really doubt the Dallas game, like they have been in and have competed with some of the best teams in the league this year and not made enough plays in the end for sure to win. And we get into their fourth quarter, so I'll we'll be a little bit, but it's like. It's also like they're not like the Texans, right, George, where they get blown every weekend. It's like, okay, you can kind of see like we're nowhere near where we're supposed to be. Like it almost adds extra frustration when you all these moves happen, all this chaos happens, and still for the most part, you are competitive and you are going toe to toe with one of the best teams in the league each and every week. And it's like you're you're there, you're knocking on the door some weeks. It's like some weeks you can kind of see, oh, this this team's like actually not as far away as maybe we think. And then you go into a night like tonight where it's just like it feels like it all kind of you really are now starting to pay the piper of making a movie like you did when you hired Jeff Satter with no experience, like I said, out of the ESPN booth. And now this is really kind of the price that uh, Jim Mercer is paying going back to last week against Minnesota, making history with the biggest blue lead. Uh, now this week on national TV, laying a, a fat egg in which the game, like I said, outside of really the Chargers finally stopped beating themselves after like the first quarter. Kind of a game that you never knew was going to be in doubt after they got that first touchdown by Austin Eckler. Yeah, I mean, the only game that I can even compare this one to was the New England game that, that got Frank Reich fired. You lost that one mm-hmm. 24-3. Yeah. Uh, some similarities there. You had Sam Ellinger at quarterback for that one and, and Nick Foles today. Jonathan Taylor misses both of those games. 0-14 on third down in New England. Over 10 on third down today. Uh, I think there were three turnovers in both those games. I'm not sure about that. I wouldn't swear to that. Uh, there are definitely three turnovers today, though, and three just awful interceptions. But again, Terrible. what did you expect? I mean, when, when when you're throwing a guy out there who hasn't worked with these receivers, the first one was a miscommunication. You know that's going to happen. You know, I mean, it's just uh, you've got 30 turnovers now for the season. So, again, one consistent <laughs> thing that they've done, uh, two per week. I mean, you can almost mark that down, right? Um, it's just... I would say it's unfathomable, but it's not because it's the blueprint we've seen all year. The games have been closer um, than this for the most part. I mean, you got you got basically uh, the New England game, the first Jacksonville game, this one. Um, that's about it that I can think of that were really two-score games. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing one. Tennessee game, the second Tennessee game was a two-score game. Uh, pretty much everything else has been a one-score game, you know, right down the wire. But I think what's concerning to me as far as, and we'll talk a little bit more about this uh, probably in the next segment. Uh, but, you know, as far as Jeff Saturday's tenure here in one and five, you make the case every game's been a little bit worse than the one before it. You, you beat Las Vegas in the opener, you take Philadelphia down to the final play, 
You lay an egg against Pittsburgh. You have the 33-point fourth quarter against Dallas. You have the historic loss in Minnesota. And then today, you know, you just don't really show up. It's a great point. It's a great point. And I think even to add to the frustration, too, is it's just like it's simple things, too. Because like even like going back to Nick Foles, like the offensive line today or on Monday night allows seven sacks. Now, again, Nick Foles is not exactly fleet of foot, and he, he's you could maybe argue even more of a statue or just as much of a statue as Matt Ryan is back there. But it's like it's now, again, the second week in a row, George, too, where you have a fourth and short. I think it, I think it was both times one yard. You have run a quarterback sneak. And frankly, it's not even close. Like, like they, they, they didn't get it. It was, you know, again, you're, but it's just like you don't even get any sort of push. Last week, the, the Minnesota defense is the worst defense in the NFL. They are dead last in total defense. It's not like you know, there's no Nick. Uh, excuse me, there's no Joey Bosa for the Chargers this week, and it's still just like it's the same result. And again, maybe it is part of it quitting. I hope. I honestly, I hope that's the case. I hope that this is a unit and this is a team that is just so put out. And just so done with Jeff Saturday, they just have no reason to play hard, and they are just mailing it in. Because if that's still an offensive line that's playing hard, uh, that I mean, you talk about major issues for next year, Georgia, and some things that you know we've been harping on all season long. If you were getting pushed around this badly, and this is still you playing at your best, or you're trying your hardest, there are some major, major issues, and there's going to be a major shakeup needed to what is the most expensive unit on this team and uh, the offensive line in the NFL. I think one of the things that that has marked the last three losses, the fourth quarter, you know, just just not showing up. Um, and I, I crunched some some numbers. I mean, we know sixty two to nothing in the last three games, ninety to nine over the last five games. They haven't mm-hmm. scored a point in the fourth quarter since November twentieth when they kicked a field goal uh, against I want to say it was Philadelphia. You know, and, and they haven't scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter since the touchdown to, to win the the game in Las Vegas. Uh, they haven't scored a touchdown at home in the fourth quarter since October 30th. That touchdown was scored by Naheem Hines in his last game here. That's that's an oh incredible number when you think about that. And today, I mean, to talk about how uncompetitive they were today, you start the fourth quarter down 13-3 to at the opponent's 12-yard line. You don't pick that up. And I have to go back and look at the play-by-play, but I don't think they were in Chargers territory again the rest of the way. They started the fourth quarter down 10 points, but at the 12-yard line. A field goal is going to make it a one-score game, a touchdown, and it's a it's three-point game, obviously. Not only do you fail on that fourth and one, I don't think you cross the 50 again the rest of the day. These fourth quarter numbers are incredibly bad. I, I don't, And they've been bad all year. I don't want to just put that on Jeff Saturday. They've been bad in the fourth quarter most of the year. Real early in the season, they weren't. Uh, when Matt Ryan had the comeback wins and they were, you know, getting things done you know even the the tie they were good in the fourth quarter of that game the only quarter they were good in that day Uh, but really you can go back to probably mid-october and the fourth quarter has just been unbelievable and think about that that you've not scored a touchdown at home in the fourth quarter since before halloween the day before halloween oh and you haven't scored a point in the fourth quarter period in the month of december that's there are a lot of numbers that, that show you how epically bad this offense is. But to me, those numbers are just and and that's where look that's the NFL games are won and lost in the fourth quarter. We used to talk about the NBA about that way all the time. That's the NFL these days. The, you're in the fourth quarter and you either make plays in that quarter or you don't. And again, you start the fourth quarter today at the opponent's twelve yard line and you don't score a point in the period. And I think what emphasizes that point even more, George, is you see the difference makers of, of who's a good fourth uh, fourth quarter team, who's not. 
huge comes down to the quarterback, right? It's mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, oversimplifying it for sure. But it's like you even watch Justin Herbert, whether it's even in the fourth quarter, even just other times during this game, he makes some throws that's just like he – you see how important the quarterback position is because he erases so many other faults. It's not like the Chargers, again, are this great team. It's not like the Chargers played well at all even on Monday night. Like, again, they couldn't get out of their way for the first quarter and a half. And even with how bad and how lifeless the Colts were, we're talking about a score that was, the final score that was 20-3. to three. Like, and again, in theory, although it never felt like the Colts were actually in it, like they were by the score technically in it until he kind of, you know, midway through the fourth quarter here. But he still just finds ways to kind of, you know, make a play or two to kind of, again, bail your team out, get them out of a, a second and 20 and make it a third and manageable, maybe convert the, that second and 20 into a first down. Whereas, I mean, you see the Colts, like they get a false start at first and 10, they can't overcome it. You know, yep. you, you fall down a yard before you can, they can't overcome it. So it's just like, it's so frustrating. And again, it goes back to the importance of quarterback. And we'll get into what Jim Mercer said here in a little bit, because he had some, I think, scary words, frankly, George. We're talking to ESPN about the position of the quarterback. I will tell you here in a second. But you're right. The fourth quarter, they've been horrendous. And I think the point you made just before that, but to kind of piggyback on Jeff Saturday, is 100% right. They have gotten worse under Jeff Saturday every week. It's it's not surprising, but you're 100% right. This team has found new ways and has looked worse and worse in the fourth quarter each and every single week since he's taken over now um, as head coach. And it's just, again, it's it's him. It's not having a quarterback that you can trust for sure uh, in the big money period. And it's, it's very frustrating that you're seeing a team, again, just kind of fold to the biggest moments. And it confirmed before, you're right, they did not get back into Chargers territory after getting stuffed in a fourth and one. They got to their own 49, so they, they knocked at the door. They waved. They looked over the fence. They saw the Chargers' territory. Did not cross the fence, though. Did not get back into Chargers' territory. The rest of the game to highlight your point of just the ineptitude in offense, especially in the most important quarter of the game. Yeah, I mean, you look at the the overall. They had sixty five passing yards in the first half. They averaged something like three point eight yards per play. I mean, it just and, and this is you know this is what the quarterback change was was supposed to help theoretically. Uh, if anything, they went backwards. And it was the worst offensive game since that New England game. I forgot, too. In the New England game, there were nine sacks. Today, there were seven. A whole lot of similarities between those two football games. Uh, and now you've got two more games to, to kind of play out this string. And, and I guess we'll see we'll see where that all ends up. To kind of put a bow on this game specifically, I just want to bring up one thing. Really, it's kind of, it, this really does aggravate me, George. Why is Jelani Woods specifically? Why is he an all-or-nothing guy? And I'm not saying it's his fault. But it's the way he's targeted. We, mm-hmm. I think all three, all three catches he got were on the first drive, if I'm not mistaken. Did not get another catch after that, and it's just like I feel like that's even like throughout the season he's been a guy that he'll get a touchdown in a big moment and then, or nothing, or like he'll you know have the big Steelers game where he has that big game with nine was it nine eight or nine catches like ninety some yards per day, and then it's like the next week he disappears. I know he gets injured, and then it's, it's like one big catch, then you don't see him again. This is a guy that's all or nothing. He is seemingly right now, you know, the, the a nice little weapon that's coming along. And I thought Troy Aikman made a good point on the broadcast. You look at the Colts' record this year, obviously, and you look at the Colts' offensive numbers, you would think, oh, well, the receivers must suck. But I thought, I thought he was spot on. He said this receiver group is a lot better than they get credit for. And if you want to include Jelani Woods in that receiver group, I would agree. And that's another weapon that's starting to kind of develop. And if you want to say that's part of the reason why Nick Foles is playing, because maybe you can have him play a little bit, you know, give the young guys a better chance to make some plays. I don't know what's going on when it comes to like, you know, target shares and looking at big imposing weapons that are, that are um, matchup nightmares for other opponents. And so you have a great first drive and then it's like, Oh, just go away from them. I know it's also play calling as well, but it just meant. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think I think that's the thing. It's not just one thing. It goes. It starts with play calling and, and and game planning, and and it's one of the areas where I think being short three guys on this staff don't doesn't help, especially when one of them is the tight end coach or was the tight end coach, uh, you know, throughout the year. Um, that that's not doing anybody any favors here. Um, but I also think it's just general inconsistency of this offense, not putting themselves in good positions. You know, I think you've got certain things in in mind. And then you lose nine yards on a screen pass, and now you know whatever you're gonna call becomes a completely different situation. You just don't get into that that kind of a rhythm. You see other offenses get hot; they'll, they'll get a hot hand. They'll go to the guy, you know, four or five times in a row, or at least you'll see like a, an entire quarter dominated by a player. Uh, and then when defenses adjust to that, they get somebody else hot. This offense has the personnel to do that, but they don't have a consistency to do it. They just put themselves in bad situations way too often. You know, they're behind the chains. Uh, there's a penalty here. There's a, a negative play there, a turnover here. And I think it just, it, it affects all the individual players that way. I can't really think of anyone on this offense who's been consistently good, you know, week in and week out and, and game in and game out. Um, and, and it just goes back to those issues that they have just trying to to mount back-to-back drives that are really good i mean when that's happened it's been rare i usually note it on twitter because it's such a amazing occurrence this year you hardly ever see this team put together even two drives in a row so i think any individual player is just going to fall victim to that that's true yeah i mean it's just, it's just so frustrating because you watch it and it's like okay there's actually something positive to watch on this offense as like anytime someone Starts to shine, it just physically disappear. But hey, I mean, again, it, it does end in a loss to me. That's, uh, you know, at the, at the end of the day, George, the most important thing the Colts again do fall to the Chargers 20 to 3. They are 4, 10, uh, and 1 on the season and do right now hold the number five overall pick, which could, could maybe be used to draft the eventual answer at Cordek for this team. Speaking of which, George. Let's talk about that and uh, the possible the future of the head coach position because Jim Mercer did speak with ESPN before the game on Monday night and had some, we'll call it, interesting words about both of the two most important positions the Colts will have to address this offseason. We'll tell you what he said in Rack 2 when the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. And we'll go back into the Blue Horseshoe Pod. Ryan Icke and George Bremer here with you as always. Make sure you are downloading and subscribing to the Blue Horseshoe Pod wherever you got your podcasts. So, George, very interesting note. So, before the game, Jim Mercer was talking with uh, Michelle Buck, but you know, doing a classic ESPN interview before their Monday night game against the Chargers. And he had some interesting words when talking about Jeff Saturday. She, he was asked about the head coach opening, and he called Jeff Saturday a competitive candidate and basically did not shut the door on him being the, the permanent head coaching job. Now, this is before the game, but as we've seen, there's plenty of also tape already out there, if you want to say that, on Jeff Saturday's head coaching ability even before the Monday night game. I mean, is there – Jim Morris is a tough man to read. Is there actually any chance to think he's going to hire or could hire Jeff Saturday to be the guy? Unfortunately, yeah. I mean, that's what I've been hearing a lot the last week. Uh, it's something I wanted to bring up on Thursday's podcast. Unfortunately, I was under the weather, wasn't able to make it to that one. Uh, but there's a lot of noise about that right now where people are saying that he's a, a real candidate, uh, you know, a, a real possibility here. I think it'll be interesting to see him. Mean, there was almost a riot when he was hired as the uh, as the interim, and, and I can't imagine what the response is going to be around the league. Aside from the fact that they're they're definitely going to get sued by the Fritz Pollard Alliance. I mean, you can pretty much guarantee that if this is the outcome. Um, 
it, it, it's going to be interesting. Um, I think you've got a guy right now who's one and five. Uh, and as we mentioned, every game has, has been a little bit worse than the one before it. And I think you saw uh, the players denied it and, and he denied it. Uh, but it sure looked like you saw a team with, with uh, at least a lack of spirit, if not a lack of fight, uh, certainly a lack of spirit out there uh, on Monday night. You know, I mean, it, they were never in that game. And it was a game the Chargers left wide open for them to be. It's not that the Chargers came in here and played some immaculate, you know, performance and, and put the game away early and, and took away the Colts fight. Uh, it was Again, in the fourth quarter, you start fourth quarter, the ball at, at their 12-yard line, down 10 points, you're in the football game. You should be, uh, but you can't get a yard again. And and then you give up a touchdown immediately thereafter, and the rest of the game was was really just garbage time. Um, I, I, it's hard to make the case based on anything we've seen. I, again, I think I talked about this last week. The most dangerous thing you can do in the NFL, and I think that's part of what – uh, Jim Mercy is doing right now is, is look at, you know, well, you played Dallas close for three quarters and you had Minnesota down by 33 points and, and you had Philadelphia on the ropes and they scored a touchdown at the end of the game. You know, that's the most dangerous thing you can do. Houston can play that game too. They're one 12 and one or, or whatever, two 12 and one now with their, their two, big victory, two 12. Uh, you know, last week, <laughs> but they can play the same game. They just, they're two one and one in the division. They just beat the division leading Tennessee. You know, they, they took Dallas down to the wire. It's a Kansas city to overtime. That's that's the NFL. It's there's never going to be an Ohio State Toledo type of situation, you know, where it's seventy seven to seven. If that does happen, uh, you get beat like the Broncos did. You see what happens. Your coach gets fired. You know, I mean, you, you just every game is close. You win or lose them in the fourth quarter, um, and so I think it's very dangerous to talk about how close you are because everybody is. I mean, the difference between one and thirty two in this league is probably not as wide as as you would imagine. You know, it's certainly not as wide as it is between like the SEC and the Sun Belt. You know, the, the, there's just no, the gap is just so much smaller. And I think if that's what you're basing your your opinions on moving forward, uh, it's not a good thing. You know, Bill Parcells always said, "You are what your record says you are." And this team's four ten and one, so how they got there is is really not important. They're here, and they're one in five under Jeff Saturday. He's matched in six games the number of losses that the guy you fired had in what nine. So, I. It's a really hard thing for me to make a case for. So you mentioned in the beginning of your answer, like, you know, that that's kind of been the hot rumor and then people have been talking like how Jeff Saturday is like a, you know, a real candidate, we'll say. Is there any reasons, like, uh, is there any reasons given? Because, you know, we've been talking about it, at least to start the pod about, you know, just their lifelessness, but you might just mentioned, right? They, they, this team appeared to quit. You mentioned before, I think you're right, this team has gotten worse every single week. And again, when when Jim Irsay was good, doing this interview and called Jeff Saturday a competitive candidate, this was before tonight's game, which you could make arguments. It's not worse than the historic loss last week, but that's coming off of a 33-0 blown second-half lead loss, and you're calling him a competitive candidate. Is there any like sort of reasoning given or, or rumored or thought that Jim Irsay likes about Jeff Saturday that we are clearly not seeing? I mean, it's not coming from any sources. It's just my speculation. You know, one of it's just his his general belief that that Jeff Saturday has this ability to be a leader of men and and to do this job. And then I also think there's a desire on his part to prove everybody wrong. I mean, we've seen plenty of reports that people within his own building were telling him not to make this move. And then it's very public what the reaction was afterwards. I mean, people still remember Joe Thomas. They remember Bill Cowher's reaction to this. Uh, those were just the public reactions. Believe me, there was a lot more of that behind the scenes uh, around buildings all, all across the NFL. 
And I think there's, you know, he's a, he's a competitive guy. He can be a stubborn guy. And I think there's a real part of him that wants to now say, I was right and, and you were wrong. Uh, and right now, I think the performance thus far is flying in the face of that. I think if you double down on it, I don't think it's going to end well. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the problem is when when the owner is the one making that, that kind of move and that kind of decision, who's going to stop him, right? I mean, it's it's his team and, and it's his prerogative. So um, obviously people weren't able to talk him out of it during the season at the interim spot. And, and that was my whole point at the time. Like, if you had belief that Jeff Saturday could be the guy, and obviously Jim Mercy does have that belief, then you should never have brought him into this situation because there was it was never a good spot for him. We we've talked about it several times. You can't really even evaluate him, you know, in, in the job that he's done. Um, so if you did have that belief and you did want him to be the full time guy, then you should never have brought him in in the middle of this year. Uh, and now I think doubling down on it, it just does. It's not a good look. You know, who knows how it all turns out. But you got a guy who right now, best case scenario is going to be three, three and five. You fired the former head coach at three, five and one best record that, that Saturday can come out of this with this three and five. And you're going to say you're going forward with him. It's it's not a good look. I, I That's a pretty obvious thing to say, but, you know, I don't know what else to say. I mean, forget. I mean, you're right. It's all a million percent of bad luck. But also, you talk about just flushing this organization down the drain the next five or ten, like five years, bare minimum, with a high like this. Because even if it, it goes south, that even if you, you pull what the Broncos did and defend your hack and you fire after a year or so, it's still it's such a bad stain, and it just makes trying to get an attractive candidate back to Indianapolis so much harder. Because Jim Mercer looks like even more of a madman if he looks to double down on a guy that you really think that can be this leader of men, quote unquote. Despite the fact that we saw them quit in front of Rise on national TV against the Chargers, I don't know what you're looking at. Like, I, I get it, right? Like, we all have our, our bad qualities, right, Georgia? And if if for Jim Mercer, like, I, I'll be honest, like, I get stubborn. Like, sometimes when you just want to believe something so bad, you get blinded to reality. But it's like, I just, I don't understand how, even if Jim Mercer is trying his best to will Jeff Saturday to kind of turn it around, you, can, you can't miss what's going on. Like, it's impossible to be that negligent to not realize the team around you is quitting, Jeff Saturday is clearly not connecting with the players in terms of at least doing the one thing he was brought to uh, brought in to do, and that was to lead this team to kind of create some sort of spark and save a season that otherwise was lifeless and dull. He's failed. He's totally, totally failed. You saw it in Minnesota in the second half. You saw it especially all game long against the Chargers here on Monday night. Like, there's no evidence you can point to of Jeff Saturday doing what he was brought, brought in to do. And you can make an argument, George. I can make an argument of him. He should be fired. After you know tonight's game, compared to getting hired, like you're not going to do it, obviously with two games left and already finding one head coach. But and right now, Jeff Saturday is more qualified to be fired than hired. Like I said, you can draw a lot of parallels between this game that just happened and the game up in New England that got Frank Reich fired. I mean, there there's a four point difference. Two more sacks that day, four more third downs that weren't converted. But uh, I think the overall feeling, the overall offense, the overall look of it, very very similar. Um, I definitely think you're right. I mean, you could make a much better case that, that he shouldn't get the finish out this year than that he should get a 17-game season next year. Uh, but again, that's, you know, it's it's the owner's prerogative. And, and like you said, you know, if, if you want to be stubborn about it and if you want to show everybody that, that you were right, um, there's a lot that could stop him. Now, I don't know. You know, it, it'll be interesting to see. The other thing he said uh, during that interview was that Chris Ballard will be the general manager. And so 
you would hope if Chris Ballard's staying on and, and he's not resigning that he's going to have some say in this. Uh, and I and I find it hard to believe that that he would be as much in in Jeff Saturday's corner as Jim Mercer is. And if he is, then maybe there's some things going on behind the scenes that, that we don't know about. You know, maybe there's something else at work here uh, that isn't public or that isn't something that that people are talking about to reporters. Um, if if Chris Ballard is also on board with this, but he certainly didn't seem to be at that that introductory press conference, uh, and I would be surprised if he is with the results the way they've been. Um, so I think that'll be another interesting part of this. You know, if Jim, if Chris Ballard is also going to be back and Jeff Saturday is a great candidate, those are two things that don't seem to mix to me. That is for sure. And like I said, you think if Chris Ballard is going to return, I mean, we, we talked about it before, like, would he resign? Like, it's tough to think that he would come back and then also sign up for coming back to Jeff Saturday being the head coach. And again, Jim Mercer going over his head and basically making the head coaching hire that Chris Ballard is supposed to, you know, be the one making. So hopefully that's a good sign in terms of Chris Ballard kind of fleshing out some uh, some actual, you know, real candidates and eliminating Jeff Saturday almost right away. But again, it's Jim Mercer, it's impossible for him to read. Um, especially now with kind of things all in disarray, he has been more hands-on than he's been in a very long time. And that's only thrown more fuel on the fire. And the, the sad part is he thinks he's actually putting out the fire when instead he doesn't realize he's actually only causing it and making it worse. So I really hope George, like tonight, like tonight was awful. Like, like it, it was awful to watch. This was this game and the New England game, speaking of another parallel, two games I couldn't wait for it to be over. Like I said, there's mm-hmm. no real sense. You know, the score really indicated they should have been in. There's no sense the Colts coming back. It was it was tough to watch Nick Foles, just like it sucked watching Sam Ellinger uh, at this point, what, two, almost two months ago in New England. And it's just like, man, this hopefully is a blessing in terms of when we're sitting here in a few weeks talking about head coaching candidates or searches or eventually head coach hire, and maybe, you know, in the draft and a few months after that, you hope a game like this, that it's just it's worth the suffering because these – yep. I don't see it getting much better if they run it back with Jeff Saturday next year, George. I don't see this, this turnaround much, that's for sure. Well, I mean, you can make a case that, that again, you know, the, the thought process, the belief by a lot of people is that, that Jim Irsay was behind the Sam Ellinger move to begin with. And you can, you can make a case that that started this whole thing, put it all in motion, saddle Frank Reich with yep. him for two games, and then you fire Frank Reich and the chaos begins and you're kind of in the, the boat you are. And I think bringing in Jeff Saturday back would be the doing the same thing next season before it even gets started. Um, you know, again, I'm not trying to put too fine a point on it, though. At the end of the day, I don't know who stops him. You know, if that's what he wants to do, if that's what he truly believes uh, is best for his football team, he's the owner of the football team. You know, at the end of the day, uh, if that's what Jim Mercy wants to do, it's what will be done. And so just all, equally as scary as Jeff Saturday being considered a competitive candidate, George, is that in the same interview, Jim Mercer was also asked about the future of the quarterback position, especially since now they have a top five pick. And he basically, Jim Mercer said, he does not know the direction he wants to go with quarterback. You Again, you would think we were talking about draft, 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 draft. Let's try to make a push for Bryson. We've been, we've been the two biggest, you know, Bryce Young stands here to try to make it happen. And fingers crossed, Houston, uh, if they do end up with the number one overpick, is, is dumb enough to listen to Mel Kuyper, who released his big board today. Thank you, Mel. I love you, buddy. You are a true expert, the premier expert when it comes to NFL draft knowledge. Had Will Levis as the number one quarterback. So thank you, Mel. But you think it'd have to be a, a draft, you know, a quarterback in the draft. But it's like, I mean, again, 
Jim Irsay can't be – frankly, this is stupid to actually think that going back to the veteran market is going to work next year when the last two years you swung a miss and it's gotten worse from Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan. It has gotten worse. And if you go back to the veteran market next year, I don't see it getting much better from what we saw this year. No, and you know I, I'm on record as saying I, I'm team blow it up, right? I, I'm team hit the nuclear button here and yes. and just um you know and so that obviously does not mean bring in a veteran quarterback. But even if you don't, you know, and you made a good case for some reasons not to. This defense has a lot of really good pieces, uh, and if you get a healthy Shaq Leonard back, you know, knock on wood, uh, they could be even better next year. Uh, with him back in the mix and and add the turnovers, you know, add the takeaway element that they really haven't had into to everything else they've done. Uh, and you could really have a unit that that that's honestly, you know, I think they've been kind of a playoff caliber defense most of this year. Obviously, the last couple of weeks uh, with Dallas and Minnesota, they took a hit in that regard. Uh, but for most of this year, they've been a playoff caliber unit. I think you put a, a healthy Shaq Leonard in there that you could definitely make that case. Uh, I like the skill position guys a lot better. I agree with Troy Aikman. I think the the, the targets that this team has are a lot better than, than people give them credit for. Uh, but with all that being said, I don't see how bringing a, a veteran quarterback in again is, is going to fix any of this, um, unless maybe it's Tom Brady. I mean, that's about – I don't know what else you're going to do uh, unless you're going to bring somebody in who who's just absolutely going to change the culture and, and change um, – you know everything about this team. Odds are the same. You know what are you going to do? Go bring in Derek Carr. You know Ryan Tannehill might be available. I, I don't even know who's going to be on that list. Zach Wilson. You know a younger guy, but uh, he, he's been. I, I don't know. You feel like you go through that grind. You're, you're in New York every day. I feel like you go through that grind up there. You, you might be broken for good, and that, that's that's a tough thing to to, to kind of live through. Um, you know I. I, I just don't see that that being the answer. Um, trying to fill this with with you know the the same way you have the last few years. Now, one thing that maybe he's referring to there, he had that cryptic quote. I think it was around the draft last year, maybe right after the draft, uh, that that they had tried to get a young franchise quarterback during the offseason last year, and it didn't work. That they tried to trade for for a young quarterback who would have been a franchise guy. We don't know who that was. Uh, speculation was it was Kyler Murray. You would think that the the deal with Arizona kind of takes him off the board, uh, but it was never confirmed. You know, maybe that's what he's talking about. Going back to that, maybe like you had mentioned before, maybe somebody like a Trey Lance. I, I don't know. You know, I think there's different ways to go about this, uh, but absolutely, I think the idea of bringing in a Carson Wentz level, a, a Matt Ryan level, somebody like that uh, that's that's on the downside of their career that somebody else has given up on. That that should be off the table. And because you're like, I just quickly was going through uh, like some of the options, like veterans. You mentioned some names like Derek Carr, Jimmy G, Zach Wilson, like Baker Mayfield. Like none of these guys again. Like while I'm more of a believer that this roster is not as far away as the record says, and it's more of a retool, let's say, than a rebuild. But it's like it's they're still not a, a veteran quarterback away. They're not a Derek Carr away or Jimmy G away from making the playoffs next year. And again, even if like. The, even they make the playoffs around next year, like they're a one and done team. Like you are again, looking for a guy that's not just a bandit that's looking actually to bring some stability to a position that hasn't that's been unstable since the the, uh, the retirement of Andrew Luck. And it, to me, I just yeah, I just I it's just a risk that right now outside of Philip Rivers um, has not worked out. 
uh, has, like I said, it's it's really kind of blown up in your face, whether it's draft capital-wise or Carson Wentz, whether now it's Matt Ryan kind of banking on a guy that is clearly was over the hill and thinking that he could still have a little juice left. I, I just don't – it's like – it's definition of insanity, George. Like you, you're, we're going to go back to the same well that you tried for two years in a row and you, you swung a miss on. So let's just – the third time is not the charm. In this case, no. the third time is not the charm, especially with this team that's around them right now. And, you know, I think the other part of this too is you've got to get that head coaching job right too. I mean, it doesn't matter. You can bring in the young quarterback who you're going to build around, but you got to put him in the right spot. We've talked about that a lot too. You know, it's not just – drafting the right guy it's making sure that you have the right plan for him that he's in the right system he's got the right pieces around him and i think exhibit a for that is is jacksonville you draft trevor lawrence but you you saddle him with urban meyer and last year was a lost season for them you bring in doug peterson this year super bowl winning head coach knows what he's doing and it's a it's a totally different thing you know you took a while it wasn't an overnight kind of a thing uh but they're they're playing pretty good football right now and it looks like they're at least right now as we sit here uh you know following this this epic Colts collapse again here on, on Monday night, it looks like Jacksonville is going to be a playoff team. You know, we'll see how it ends up. But right now, if I had to bet, uh, I would bet on the Jaguars winning this division um, with the way things are headed. So I, that's that's the difference here, you know, is, is that head coaching component. And so I think these two things go hand in hand. You bring back Jeff Saturday, um, he better have an offensive coordinator and a staff over there that has a real plan for whatever young guy you're going to bring in and, and is going to build him up because that's the next most important thing. Getting the right guy is first of all, because you're not going to be able to make, you know, lemonade from lemons. But once you get the right guy in here, Chicago is another example of that it took them a year and a half to figure out how to use Justin Fields. You know, now they've got no defense. So it's still a whole other issue as far as winning goes up there. But I think they feel pretty good about fields now compared to where they were a year ago. But again, you have to you have to do that from day one. You have to know, okay, we're taking this guy, and this is exactly why, and we're going to put the right pieces around him. He's going to have the right coaches. He's going to have the right, you know, help. Um, I, to me, that's the, the head coach component of this, the offensive coordinator component of this, the quarterback coach component of this. They're all equally important as getting the right quarterback. Without a doubt, like I said, it goes hand-to-hand, and the, the Jaguars example is a perfect one of you can get the guy quarterback, but you put the wrong head coach around him, and it just totally ruins and stunts his growth. You see the name of Mac Jones on a lesser extent. You know, he was decent in year one with Joshua Daniels. You put a defensive guy as offense coordinator, and guess what? That is not working out uh, anywhere nearly uh, as well as Bill Belichick thought. No one else really saw success coming outside of Bill, but Anyway, that's, a, that's another topic for another day for sure. But you're right about that. It's head coach quarter. We've talked about the importance, and that's why this offseason is going to be the biggest offseason for this team in five years because you're going to get a new quarterback. You're going to get a new head coach. You really kind of have those two things merge at the same time. You know, some of the examples you mentioned before, it's like you have, you know, overlapping head coach, overlapping quarterback. You get a year or two in, then you make the change, find the guy. You can now mar- marry the two in the same offseason which hopefully, again, if you get it right, should take off and take off faster than, again, if you waste a year either with a quarterback and a guy like Jeff Saturday, God forbid, or if you you waste it, you know, you get a, a Jim Harbaugh, I'd say, but you try to run it back in a veteran market with another stopgap band-aid that doesn't work and you waste one year at his tenure as well. So it's this is a very crucial offseason. We've been talking about that for a while and it will continue to harp on until the offseason does arrive here in two more weeks. But Jim Mercer, again, I, it's 
casting doubt, George. I think casting doubt and pouring some cold water on any optimistic Colts fan that maybe that this is the offseason they'll actually get things right because you hear him talk about head coach and actually seriously considering Jeff Saturday. Not that he's going to hire him. Not that he's you know the front runner by any stretch of imagination. But just the fact that he's considering him still, even before th- this game on Monday night, shows you or has to have you uh, concerned for sure about Jim Mercer's judgment. And then also not saying that, you know, the direction uh, or not knowing he, I should say, the direction of, of where they'll go quarterback wise is uh, also concerning as well. So before we get out of here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod, we did have some big news on Monday before the Colts Chargers game. That was that Nathaniel Hackett, 15 games in his tenure, speaking of quarterback and head coach, kind of not meshing along uh, whatsoever. He was fired after that embarrassing loss to the Rams. There's a name that the Colts have been interested in that's been also now linked to the Broncos. If you had to choose between the two, is it the Colts or the Broncos a more attractive head coach opening? We'll get it down. The Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. Welcome back. It is the post-game edition of the Blue Horseshoe Pod. Colts lose to the Chargers 20-3, fall to 4-10-1 in the season. As always, make sure you're downloading and subscribing to the Blue Horseshoe Pod. We have a lot of fun topics here going forward that are not really game specific because we it's not a lot of joy and funding talking when it comes to this team, but there are some interesting stuff off the field, George. And the latest one is how uh, news around the NFL does impact the Colts head coach opening. And today we saw another team, the third team in the NFL, fire their head coach in season. The Denver Broncos fired Nathaniel Hackett. That uh, one year experiment is now over, and so now the Broncos, Panthers, and Colts are the three teams we know for sure. We'll be looking for a head coach uh, this offseason and a name already thrown out there by Albert Breer that said there was, you know, a connection. Maybe that name was he heard some rumblings, uh, even go back to before Nathaniel Hackett was fired uh, last week. That name being tossed around in the Denver circles, Jim Harbaugh. Clearly, that's a name that's, you know, Colts fans know very well. Jim Mercier knows very well. And that's a name that's going to be rumored uh, for this job. But I got to ask, if you're Jim Harbaugh and you can kind of are choosing between the two, Colts and the Broncos, I think there's easily pros and cons for both. If I'm Jim, I'll, this, I'll say this, George, I wonder if you agree or not. I actually kind of think the Colts are a little bit more attractive. Now, it the main thing is how you view Russell Wilson. I will mm-hmm. say this. I think – I still think Russell Wilson can be saved. Like, this year has just been an absolute train wreck. And for anyone that, will say, wasted their Christmas day watching him play on Sunday against the Rams, oof, you saw how far he has gone from his Seahawks days when he was kind of throwing the deep ball. But if you still believe there's talent there and you can be the guy to rein Russ in, we'll say, then I would change my mind and say, oh, you know, the Broncos are a better uh, team because then you have the quarterback. If you think you can fix them, okay, you have a good defense, you got the quarterback, and you should be ready to go. Where obviously you're looking at the Colts team as I'm a quarterback. But if you don't trust Russ and you look at that five year, $245 million extension that's about to kick in as well, uh, not even, I think, in two years from now because he had two years left in his deal. So you still, you have like seven years left to Russell Wilson. You don't think you can fix him, or you're questioning, you know, you're on the fence about if he's actually can be the guy or not. I mean, it's better to have a, a clean slate with the Colts than it would be to go to a, a guy that's heavily compensated there for a long time. And it's going to take a lot to try to move off of him either in the short term. There's going to be a lot of patience needed to, to ride out that contract if you, you know, don't want to trade him and need all that money. You don't have a lot of draft capital either. You gave a lot of that up to to get him at least in the short term. You don't have a lot of draft capital, and then you're you're going to have a little bit of cap hit too. There, you know, there's going to be some some pain there too. So, um, you know, I think those are two things that are are definitely going to count against the Broncos as coaches go in there. But I do think it comes down to 
what your feeling is on Russell Wilson. If you believe, like you said, that, that he can be saved and you can get him back to playing a, at a high level, uh, then you can look at that defense and, and feel like you could win some games. It's a tough division, too. I think that's another thing that that needs to be brought in there. You know, you, you've got the Chargers are not going anywhere. Um, you've got the Chiefs, obviously, who, who remain one of the best teams in the league. you got to find a way to pass those two right away. Uh, and who knows? The Raiders have shown a little bit of life. Uh, you know, the last few weeks. So maybe they're also upwardly mobile. It's not going to be the easiest division to walk into. It's not like you're going into the NFC South and and there's no winning teams or or even here in the AFC South where there's no winning teams. Um, You know, I think obviously Jacksonville would would be a team that you would look at that's on the rise and and is, you know, potentially going to be somebody you're going to have to to fight with for the next few years. But I I think I'd rather do that than fight with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. I mean, if I had to choose my opponent, um, so I think the two things, if I'm Jim Harbaugh, the two things that I'm looking at uh, would be, how do I feel about this quarterback class? You know, do I feel like with the Colts with the top five pick, do I feel like there's a rookie in there or more than one rookie? Because again, if you don't have the number one overall pick, you don't really get to choose that guy. Uh, so do you feel good? Because I, I think you could, at number five, you could say they're going to get one of Bryce Young, Will Levis, or CJ Stroud. If you feel good about all three of those guys, or you can win with three of those guys, all three of those guys, or you feel confident that they can get in position to get one of them specifically, then I think you feel good about that this job because you could obviously build that guy and, and like we were talking about, you can you know work with him from day one, uh, and that's the best way these things work in the NFL when a, when a head coach and a quarterback come in you know pretty much together. It's very rare, but it, it seems like those are really the best kind of situation, especially if that head coach really believes in that quarterback. But the other part of this is, is the Jim Irsay factor. Do you feel like uh, whatever's gone on with him in the past couple of months is is more of a, a passing kind of a thing? You know, a, a little bit, a few moments of frustration coming out, um, you know, uh, temporary madness, so to speak. Or do you feel like he's kind of in a, in a spiral of his own? You know, if, if you feel like there's not stability in that ownership spot, I think every head coaching candidate is going to have to weigh that. Uh, and those are the two factors for all of them, honestly. You know, how do you feel about this quarterback class? And, and do you think you can win with one of these rookies? And then more importantly, honestly, is the is the ownership question. You know, Do you feel like there's stability there? There has been for almost all of his reign. But I think these last couple of months are going to give people pause. Uh, and I think you're going to, you're going to want answers there. Now, I think Harbaugh's in a, a situation more than most of the other candidates would come in here to get some really good answers uh, because he can get them directly from the owner because there's a relationship there already, but also the people that he knows in the building, you know, I'm sure he can do his reconnaissance here pretty quickly, pretty easily and, and find out why things have gone the way they have, because he's been here before. And a lot of guys, you know, who work around Jim Irsay, who work in the equipment room, who work in some of the other offices were here when he was here, you know, there's obviously a lot of changes, but there's also people that, that he could, talk to uh who who still are very plugged into this this franchise so uh that to me are the two big things in general i think you would lean a little towards the colts uh because you've got better draft capital you've got a better cap situation uh but again i think a lot of that comes down to your feelings on this particular quarterback draft class and then your feelings on the stability of the owner right now and when it comes to ownership, obviously the, the Walton Penner group buying the Broncos a few months ago, it's like we have no idea what they are. They are total mm-hmm. wild cards. All we know is that they have a ton of money 
and uh, they seemingly are not shy to spend it when you fire a head coach 15 games into a, a brand new deal. But it's like, you are right. Like, Hersey can lean for the most part on the majority of his tenure and say, hey, look, for the most, I've been hands off. We, you know, this is a, a one off sort of thing. But that's a good point. I didn't think about that with Harbaugh kind of doing its own recon. Like, I think we'll know how also attractive this coach job is and how, uh, how potential candidates view Ursay's decision making and actions this past year. Where if Harbaugh's interested in, you know, they're going through the interview process and this is seemingly, you know, there's mutual interest on both sides. That's obviously clearly a really good sign. If this is one of those quick things where he's not getting an interview, really kind of brushing off the Colts pretty fast. Also, on the flip side, that kind of goes to show you this is one of those do not touch jobs if you're, uh, you know, the prominent head coach, which is clearly kind of showing you that Jim Harbaugh kind of learned. Uh, Jim Mersey, this is kind of more what we've seen this year, probably more of Jim Mersey moving forward, which is, again, we've hit a lot of worst case scenarios in this pod, George, the last uh, few segments. That's another right there to the top of the list. If you tell me worst case scenario, if Jim Mercy is going to kind of lean more towards this year's Jim Mercy going forward compared to, let's say, the last 20 years, 25 years, where for the most part, he's been a big fan when it comes to actually touching, you know, touching the business and actually having an impact. He's been, for the most part, letting the people he hire do the work for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's no question. And I, I you know, like we said last week, when we kind of touched on this subject a little bit, I think it's something we're going to get an answer to very, very quickly, uh, probably within the first week after the season's over, because you're going to start to see the guys that are interviewing. And when you see, you know, the people that they're bringing in and those names start to come out, you'll start to have an idea of, of how the league views this. If there's obviously Jim Harbaugh would be a big part of that. Although I, I just don't know how public that courtship is going to be. It's in his best interest to deny all of this. I'm sure it won't be long until he's denying the Albert Breer report. You know, he's preparing to, to try to win a national championship. The last thing he needs is talk about him going to the NFL. So I'm sure he doesn't want any of that out there. He's going to try to downplay it. I don't think you're going to hear a lot about his courtship with either of these teams until, you know, there, there's a deal that that's pretty close, you know, that something's getting signed on the, on the dotted line. Um, but I, there's other guys, you know, guys like D'Amico Ryans, some of the guys that are obvious names in this, this cycle, uh, Dan Quinn would be another one guys who are, who are going to get interviewed by multiple teams. If several of those guys are either turning down opportunities to interview here, or they're just not showing up on that candidates list, it'll be a major red flag. And Speaking of all, you know, other kinds outside of just Jim Harbaugh as well. What, especially because this is game is specific, since obviously it was against the Chargers and they got a playoff spot. I think it's fair to say probably Brandon Sellers' job is safe. Which, if you look at Sean Payton, and now there's another report that he's, you know, uh, aligning an all-star coaching staff together. <laughs> I still think it's going to be the Colts. But you look around. I mean, the, he, there was a report this week that the three teams he's interested in, or last week, Rams, Chargers, Saints. Well, I don't think Sean McVay's retiring. And if he doesn't, he's not getting that job. It looks like Brandon Saylor is going to be the head coach of the Chargers, at least for next year. Saints are a mess. So it's like if you're Sean Payne and you really want to come back to coaching and you don't want to sit out another year, well, there's not as any – you're not a Russell Wilson fan, let's say. There's not a lot of places you're going to go that you you kind of be a good spot for you. And I'm just going to point this out, George. It could just be fat fingers on Twitter, which has happened plenty of times, and people have you know blamed getting hacked and other things. Someone did tweet at Sean Payton during the Charger game tonight. Fix it, Sean, please. A Colts fan tweeted that, and Sean Payton liked it. Now I saw uh, that. So I don't, you know, take that for what you will. We've seen plenty of social media um, interesting interactions that never come to fruition. 
But again, if you're Sean, you look around the landscape. If we want to, you know, kind of end this uh, pod on a positive note, George. Again, I, I think again, you, you talk about the, going back to the Broncos Colts comparison. The Chargers now kind of playing their way out of the possible head coach game. Like there may not be as many openings as you think, and there may not be as many attractive openings for a guy in Champagne if he's desperate to get back. The Colts are, are, I will say, looking better, a little bit better and better. Partly because of elimination, but hey, we'll take it. It's going to really be interesting to see, you know, because I think uh, right now there's three jobs open. If if the numbers hold up, if it's a normal year, there's going to be at least three more, you know, and it'll be interesting to see who those three are. There's always a couple of surprises in there. Um, so we'll see how it plays out. I, I wouldn't count out Sean Payton just sitting out the year. Um, I know that that's the way it was with John Gruden with almost a decade, maybe yeah. more than that. You know, um, I think he's he's in a unique position to be really, really picky. I don't think he by any means has to choose a job in this cycle. Uh, and if I was him, I, I frankly wouldn't. You know, if I had a three job list and, and none of those three jobs open up, just sit back and, and wait, see how things go for Brandon Staley next year, see how things go for Sean McVay. Uh, I think he's in a really good position that way, you know, where he can just kind of sit back and, and, and kind of survey the landscape. That being said, if I'm Jim Mersey, you know, and I'm willing to write a big check, I'll give him a call. You know, I'll see. I think you've got, if you're going to cast a wide net, the way Ursay has said he, he is, you've got at least got to check in, you know, you've at least got to, and I know there was interest in the past. I mean, there, there was, uh, I want to say 2016, you know, a flirtation there that was reported and, and then Peyton ended up getting an extension with the with Saints. But um, I think the biggest hurdle here is is what's going to be required, not just the the money uh, when you're already paying Frank Reich not to coach your team. You know, it's going to be probably tough to, to come up with the money for Sean Payton, but you've got to give draft capital to, to the Saints to get him back. You know, the, there's not whoever hires him is going to owe compensation in New Orleans. And I think the rebuild right now is steep enough here that that's something the Colts might not be interested in doing. But I think your your point is also right too. Like you got to reach out. Like I don't think again, even with just kind of joking before, and maybe you know the Colts are now looking prettier because there's less and less places are, are around and open. And if he's that desperate, and the Colts are the best of the worst, hey, I'm not going to complain. He's head coach next year. But you're like whether you actually think Sean Payton is realistic, and I'm I would probably say he's not realistic. But you still have to give him a call. Like so you still have to just do your due diligence, get a at least throw the offer out there, make it known that hey, look, we tried, it didn't work, but fine. But you can't just sit there and go through a head coaching search that's like Jeff Saturday, you know, maybe Jim Harbaugh and like you know two or three other guys that you know haven't really heard of before, and not give Sean Payne a call. You got to just see what he's gonna do. But it's gonna be interesting because like I said each and every week now that head coaching uh, hot seat meter, if you will, continues to kind of fluctuate. Kyler Murray, you know, we'll see what Cliff Kingsbury, kind of him tearing his ACL last week, how that impacts if Cliff is fired or, you know, reported maybe he wants to walk away, how attractive, if attractive, uh, that Cardinals job is with Kyler out maybe all of next year. So it's it's really interesting that, you know, the, the, this head coach hot seat and this, how a head coach carousel can be fascinating to watch. Like I said, probably will double in size from three to six or seven with a, maybe a surprise or two, but it's definitely going to be unpredictable and it's definitely – Kind of steal line from Aaron Rodgers and the pod here, George. Kind of breaking in in the Colts' favor a little bit. You know, you're, you're starting to get at least a few teams maybe bowing out that were kind of borderline a few weeks ago of will their coach be fired or not that were attractive destinations. 
now starting to break towards their coach will be back, which is obviously a, a good sign for the Colts for sure. So that'll do it for this edition of the Blue Horseshoe Pod. Again, the Colts fall to the Chargers 20-3. to to uh, Only two more games to go. That is for sure at 4-10-1 as they race to as high, as high in the draft board as they possibly could get right now sitting there. Number five, which is, hey, so far so good. Still a little more to climb for sure, but they are in prime position to make a move to maybe get their franchise quarterback come April. So keep an eye on that. We will be back midweek to kind of still break some things down and see what else Jim Mercer say this week, George. You know, I'm sure he won't be quiet. I'm sure he'll be talking to someone. So they'll, in a season that's been filled with Colts drama seemingly almost every day, every week, I'm sure there'll be something for us to break down next time we talk to you. So make sure you're downloading and subscribing for uh, to the Blue Horseshoe Pod, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you follow George on Twitter at GM Bremer. You can check me out at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. We'll talk to you later this week right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod.